All right, so before we dive into this Old Testament passage of 2 Kings chapter 5, I want to kind of set this up for you because we're going to be unpacking a character named uh, Naaman. So if you are a note taker and you like titles, we are calling it The Risk of Humility. The Risk of Humility. And essentially, uh, First and Second Kings is an account of 400 years of history that happened between the King Solomon into Israel dividing into the, southern, the northern and southern kingdoms up into Babylon, Babylonian captivity. And so here we are looking at, this is, the, this is where we're stepping into this book. In fact, in Second Kings chapter 5, there is a military soldier who's well known and has great stature. His name is Naaman, and he actually, he works for the king of Aram. And so he has actually even fought the Israelites in one. God gave him favor and he won. And so we're at this place in, in the story where he is really grappling. He's come head to head with this, this reality that he actually suffers from leprosy. It's a skin disease and it's painful, right? It, 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 it actually can kill the nerves eventually, but it's, it's not nice to look at. And, and essentially, uh, many people in that day would actually shun lepers and they would not get close to them. And so you can imagine this man of great success who is, you know, he is, he's a great military warrior, but at the same time, he has this disease. Have you ever been in a place where one part of your life is successfully flourishing and the other part you're like, man, it's painful. It's painful. So we can relate to Naaman in this place, right? And he is saying, um, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I want to be healed. I'm pretty desperate. And so what we see is actually there were a band of raiders from Aram, which is actually um, it's Damascus, essentially, the capital of Syria. And they, are, they go and they actually take captive a little Israelite girl who happens to be Naaman's servant in her house. And she says, don't you love the, I just love the faith of kids, right? She's in a pretty desperate situation herself. And she says, hey, don't you want to be healed? You know, there's a prophet in Israel, if you'll go there, that you can be healed. And so Naaman's wife, of course, tells her husband this. And he goes to the king of Aram and he says, hey, like, I need permission to go to the enemy's camp. I need to go to king, the king of Israel. And I need to ask to be healed. And so the king sends a letter to the king of Israel. And king of Israel is upset because he thinks, this guy's taunting me. What does he think? I can heal, right? And he rips his clothes. In fact, is a very symbolic in Hebrew culture of, you know, someone who's suffering pain or grief or even anger in this case. And he rips his clothes. All the mamas are real glad that we don't rip clothes anymore because I'm telling you, it's hard enough just to keep your boys from getting holes all in the shirts. And here we are, like, he's ripping his clothes and the Israelite prophet, Elisha, hears about it. He says, don't do that. Send him to me. Send him to me. And so that is actually where we are going to pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 8. Read with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Nahum Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a message to him and said, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Uh, Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? So what we see, church, if you are taking notes, we are going to unpack this story if we're going to be wise risk takers, the first thing we're going to have to do is humble ourselves. We see this whole story is set up 
with Nahum, who is a, a mighty warrior, military warrior, is saying, hey, the pain of staying the same in leprosy with the chance to be healed is now far greater than living with it. And he's ready to make a change. And so he takes a, he takes a radical move and he moves towards the prophet Elisha's house. And we see that he comes to Elisha's house, and Elisha doesn't even come out of his home. <laughs> he sends a servant to open the door for him. Now, he's a great military leader. One would expect at least a warm welcome. Why don't you come inside? Nope, he comes, and he's not afraid of the leprosy. But what I think is happening here, and again, this is not, this biblical scholars, uh, this is nothing that, that has been studied, but here's what I believe is happening. Because you have to remember, sometimes we read these stories, and we forget that they're totally human. They are totally human beings with lots of emotions, just like we have. But we can see that Naaman is offended. He's offended that he doesn't come out and meet him. But what I believe is happening here is Elisha is a prophet. He perceives that there is, God is doing a deeper work, so he gives him specific instructions to go dip seven times, but he doesn't come out to meet him, which probably just stirs up a little bit more of the pride that we see Naaman is wearing in his in his suit, in his outfit, in his badges, in his uniform. And we see that God has a way of getting to the spiritual formation that each of us need in a very unique way. The prophet tells him to dip seven times in the Jordan. Now let me just help bring this into context. I don't know about you, but not too many people swim in the Potomac. But I have recently learned that the Potomac is actually one of the, the, the rivers in the United States that is actually illegal <laughs> in D.C. to actually swim in it because there is raw sewage. Now, let me help you out. If you went swimming in it in this weekend, whoo, I plead the blood of Jesus over you. Raw sewage is in that water. It is not exactly a place that you would want to go swim. In fact, if I were him, I'd be saying like, you know, if God told me, hey, go wash in the Potomac, I'd be like, hey, don't you know Lake Anna is like a short drive? Or maybe we could go to the Chesapeake Bay at least where there's some freshness, right? No, he tells him to go and humble himself and go to the River Jordan to dip. And not five times, not one time, seven times. Has God's instruction ever offended you? Has God ever led you or asked you, or maybe you've been reading the word of God and you're like, it says that? What? Have you ever been offended by God's word? And have you ever, has he ever moved differently than you thought that he might or that he should? Come on, church. I need some honest people. Thank you, my front row over here. It's getting quiet in here. God, you want me to forgive who? Don't you know what they did to me? Don't you know what they said about me? Don't you know? God, I was praying for healing for that person. You didn't heal them like I thought you would. They've been suffering a long time. God, what are you doing here? God, I've waited a long time for Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright, and you gave me who? <laughs> are you kidding me? He snores all night. You want me to give away what? Don't you know what I was saving for? Don't you see the responsibilities and the lifestyle preferences I have? God. Now, I know none of you have thought these things. But it is here in the valley of daily decisions daily thoughts and dialogues you have with God and yourself 
It is here where we have the opportunity and decision to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. Even when we don't like it, <laughs> even when it doesn't, it doesn't uh, you know, our flesh doesn't like it. And the truth is that if we don't take these opportunities to humble ourselves in the daily small decisions that seem so seemingly insignificant, can I tell you what? When the opportunity to humble yourself in a big, big way comes, you won't do it. You won't do it because you haven't been obedient in the small things, in the small ways that God said, hey, you know what? When you use that tone with your spouse, that wasn't kind. That wasn't respectful. That didn't build that person up. Hey, when you, when you left all the dishes last night, come on, spouses, I'm about to help you out. Roommates, I'm going to help you out too. Hey, when you did that, you remember when in the, Holy, in, in, in the Holy Spirit nudged you? Yeah, that was God. It was God's invitation to invite him in every daily decision of your life. Now listen, he's not telling you, you know, what you should wear. He might, but I, I doubt it's like that. But it's these moments. It's these moments where you know, you have that second thought that you're like, man, I, sh I shouldn't do that. Man, I should have I preferred somebody else over myself. It's those moments. If we'll take them, then when it comes, you know, I hear a lot of times people say, oh, well, you know, when God opens that door, then I'll do it. No, you won't. No, you won't. Because you haven't been exercising your muscles. <laughs> And you're not ready to open that door. These are invitations, church. He's been too good to us to question his infinite wisdom and his ways. His ways are ultimately higher than our ways. And if we don't settle that, church, don't settle that in our spirit, can I tell you, you are going to be in a mental tug of war with the word of God your entire life. If you settle it at the root, God you are God and I am not, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Listen, God's made you brilliant. He has given, you are made in the image of God. But there are limits, there are limitations to what we know. And we have to be able to submit ourselves to God in such a way, church, that he can speak to us. And when he asks you to go dip in the Potomac, I'm just, this is just, we're just giving an example here. I'm not telling you to go do that. But then we'll say, yes, God, we trust you. That seems ludicrous. That doesn't seem right, God. That goes against what my mental, like my judgment and what I think. We will say, yes, God, church. Choices lead and feelings follow. We talk about it all the time. Choices lead, the feelings get in line normally after the fact. <laughs> That's just the way it works. Webster defines humility as the freedom from pride or arrogance so that we can act in submission and respect one to another. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your path. No, God, I'd rather you bless my path that I'm going on. That's not how it works. He says, trust me, trust me. St. Augustine, a biblical scholar and father of the faith, says it this way, it was pride that changed angels into devils. I don't have time to go into that, but go check out the beginning of Genesis. It was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. When we take up 
the towel. <laughs> Come on, I, I speak back. This is way more fun, a lot more fun uh, for me too. <laughs> um, but really, when we when we take on, when we take that ro- we take our robes off, our titles, our positions, all of our accomplishments, and we will humble ourselves before God and before men. Can I tell you what? You take on the image of Christ. You reflect the image of Christ in the world around you. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he chose to take all of that off, nail himself on a cross for everything you have done and everything you will do. It's pretty radical. It's a pretty radical thought. Who are we to think that we cannot do the same? We're made in his likeness, church. Can I tell you something? That's attractive to a world that is all about me, 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 and me. Can I tell you what a difference that makes in your workplace? Can I tell you what a difference that makes in your homes? Where marriage is a joke to the world around us? Can I tell you what a difference it makes? The very things that we desire, the road of humility, it's that road that will take us to the things we desire. The true, true joy of the Lord. The joy, the happiness that we, that, we, that we want and the foundation, that firm foundation, that peace. It's the way of humility. It's the way of humility. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up in due time. That does not say your time or my time. <laughs> it says in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's in the waiting that we get anxious, right? It's like, God, did you hear me? You know I've been praying for that man for a long time. God, I've been, I've been praying for a wife, God. I'm waiting. Where are you? I think I'll go do it myself. It's in that waiting period that we have to take those anxious thoughts and say, thy will be done, your kingdom come, not mine. Not mine. You know, my, my handsome hunk of man, Mr. Jeremy Burroughs, he... We got married, and I was right in the middle. I was at the tail end of my plan, <laughs> my, my graduate school plan. I had a, a joint master's degree in view, right? I kind of had it all laid out the way I thought God would work and how it would all work out. Well, at the tail end of the first one, you finish the first one, then you pick up the second one. At the tail end, I met him, and we fell in love, and, you know, story for another day, and we end up getting engaged and getting married in the summer, and so in my strategy. I said, oh, great, we will get married, we will have a honeymoon, and then I will have four weeks and I will start the second joint degree, right? Seems logical, works out. Well, when I talked to Jeremy about that, he wasn't on the same page. He was kind of thinking, like, I was kind of thinking, like, we get to know each other, like, the first year before we take on more stuff, and, you know. And so, in all wisdom, he asked his new wife, he said, do you mind maybe getting a MJB? I said, what, what is an MJB? A master's in Jeremy Burroughs. <laughs> All the women said, what in the world? All the men, do not ever do that. Let me help you out. Because this humble, submissive, sweet wife who was so wise said, I don't think so. And I packed my book bag, not my bags, although I wanted to. Put, packed my book bag, and I marched myself to class. I sat in class, and that night, on spiritual formation, mind you, in a divinity school. I'm sitting there, and the teacher and the professor begins to take a plant, and she begins to just kind of trim it, right, cutting it back. And I'm thinking, man, it's not, it doesn't look like much. Like, what are you doing? It was beautiful before. You've just, like, you've cut it up. And she proceeds to say, sometimes God's going to prune some good things out of your life 
in order to form something greater later in you. As she said that, church, I began to sweat. I was like sweating already because I knew my husband wasn't happy I was there. I was like, oh, Lord, what are you, are you speaking to me? And I had a conversation with her after, and she said, Christina, may I, may I humbly submit some advice to you? She said, what you will get in this first year of marriage, if you will humble yourself and submit to the ways of God and his nudges, his voice, she said, will be far greater than another degree hanging on the wall. And I said, I, I don't like that. <laughs> Is that okay? Is it okay not to like what God says sometimes? I said, I don't, I don't really like that, God but I love you, and I love this man, and I'm going to trust you. I tell you, I, I, you know, got out of the class, and the rest is history because, you know, here we are. How did I know God would bring it all full circle if I would just submit to the Lord, submit my ways to him? In fact, in our culture, surrender and humility is actually a really offensive term these days, and so I just want to illustrate something, and yes, I'm doing it in heels. It's okay. I didn't fall the first service. I'm going to try it again. Um, but anyone who lifts weights understands that squats are probably one of the best exercises you can do because it's working so many muscles, and your quadriceps are actually the lar- one of the largest you know, muscles in your body. Thank you, John, before I hurt myself. <laughs> and... It is essentially, it's your, it's your power moves, right? That's going to give you agility and ability and strength. And so what happens, if you will just go with me for a second, if one of these weights is submission, the other weight is surrender, and the bar is God. If we will get under, under the plan and the mission of God for our life, and we will come, well, man, I got some absolutes in my life. The word of God will be my guide. I'm going to submit and I'm going to surrender, surrender is key, so that I can build some muscles for the long haul. Because how many know, if you do this and then you don't ever do it again, you're not going to get stronger. But if you will take this posture in life, and every time you get the opportunity, get a rep. Every time, keep building your muscles, no matter how old you get. That was, that was the trainer's advice to me as I turned 40. She said, you got to put some muscle on, girl. You're going to lose it at a fast rate. I said, I'm done doing those. No, you're not. You're going to do it for as long as you can. We've got to never forget, church, that it is the most powerful move we can make. Surrender, a life of surrender and submission under the plan of God for our lives. Thank you for that. God didn't do things the way I planned or the way that I wanted, but can I tell you, I built some internal muscles that needed some exercise, but it took the way of humility. And I don't tell you that because it's like, oh, well done, Christina. No, I did it terribly, actually. (laughs) But can I tell you, sometimes the road of pain actually is the best teacher sometimes. And so the very thing that you're mad about, the very thing you're complaining about, the very thing that you're upset about is actually a gift to you Because if you will submit and surrender to the hand of God in your life and what he's working all things. Does he work some things out? That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says that he will work all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Church, that is worth an amen right there. James 4.10 said, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. How can you humble yourself this week? Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Ask him don't miss the moments. They're going to be small moments, daily moments 
that he's going to give you this week, take them, take them. You're going to begin to build muscle for the endurance for the long haul. Point number two, listen to others. Listen to others. We're going to pick up in 2 Kings 5, verse 13 through 16. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have not done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. He went down in the Jordan and, and washed seven times. As the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. Then Nahum and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is, a God, there is no God in all the world except Israel. So please, accept the gift from your servant. The prophet, prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. A thing. Thing. You just heard my... <laughs> and even though Naaman urged him, he refused. He refused. In God's infinite wisdom, he saw fit to not only ask Nahum to go to the enemy's camp and ask for help, he also, he also brought a prophet who would offend him. And then his team is saying, hey, buddy, don't miss this opportunity. Don't miss this opportunity by way of others. In fact, it's not enough to, to understand something cognitively, and we're really good at that, especially in the DMV. We are really good. We want like, hey, let me study it. And it's like, actually, you actually need to probably put that book into action, actually. Um, and in Hebrew, this word to know is translated to be made aware of, to be made aware of or shown through experience. There's cognitive learning and there's also experiential learning and can I tell you one happens here and one happens here and they need to connect if you're if it's you really want transformation and change Elisha tells him to dip seven times we know that the biblical number seven means two things first full and completion it's full and complete the seven ring a bell for anyone around on the seventh day he rested. He rested. Hold that. Symbolically, it's also truly a linear journal, journey, right? Seven comes after one. So there were lots of little steps. You can see Naaman's been taking them, right? He humbled himself. He took advice from a little girl. And then he went to the king and he submitted himself. And then he went to the prophet. And then he listened to others. So he's been taking steps. Finally gets down to the Jordan. And on the seventh one, he is healed. I find it interesting that not only is he completely healed, but he is also on that last seventh dip. I bet his nerves were probably, they, they were probably, you know, well, they were alive in him because he's thinking, man, this is the seventh dip. God, I sure hope so because it didn't happen in the first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth. Here he is on the seventh dip. And I believe that there could be some symbolism in the fact that he could not perform this by himself. On the seventh day, God rested. And God had to do it, church. How many know on, when, we, when, we don't, when we don't rest at all in that seventh day, how many know there's always work to do? You work six days. Is there always still work to do on the seventh day? Of course there is. But can I tell you, that is where we have to entrust the rest of the work to God. 
We have to, it's an exercise of trust. So Naaman goes down on the seventh one, and guess what? His performance, his status, his recognition, what he had achieved, none of it could heal him. It was on the seventh dip where I believe something transformed. He said, okay, God, I trust you. I can no longer do this for myself. I cannot heal myself. You can't fix that relationship on your own. It's been rough for years. You've tried. You've done everything you know to do, and it is not moving. You've done your best to budget. You've done your best. You're working hard, and there's still more month than there is money with inflation on the rise. God, I need a breakthrough. <laughs> Anybody ever prayed that? I need a financial breakthrough. These kids are expensive. <laughs> it's just me. Okay. You can't make those doors of opportunity open even though you've done everything right for your promotion. You've been waiting on God. Those doors are not opening. Can I humbly submit to you, church? May I pastor you for just a minute? You do what only you can do with humility of heart and exercise wisdom, do all the right things. And let me tell you, that relationship, that job, Whatever is on your heart, you're going to have to trust God with this one. You walked in this morning discouraged. Can I tell you, you walked into the right place because God had your name on his mind and on his heart. And he wants you to know, keep doing the right things. God is going to do this one for you. That was a word for somebody, if you're wondering. God will do it. And your testimony will be, won't he do it? Won't he do it? Thank you for the back row. I see you dancing. Won't he do it? James 1.12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Come on, do you love him, church? Do you love him enough to humble yourself? Do you love him enough to let others into your life and listen to some wisdom that he has put around you? Do you love him enough? He loves you more than you love yourself. We see that Naaman listened to his team. It was key. In fact, Harvard Business Review did a study of 3,500 listeners, and they found three traits emerge. And I find it fascinating because they really do correlate really well with what Naaman's team did for him. He says, effective listening, the study revealed that effective listening requires engagement and asking questions, right? You are not looking to get your assumptions validated, but you're open to learning. You're open to be challenged. Are you open? Are you open? Naaman's servant asked him a question. My father, again, respectful tone, my father, right? He's showing him the honor and respect that he deserves. And if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have not done it? Would you have not done it? What he's humbly doing is saying, hey, 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 hey. I see your pride and I don't want it to hinder you from the healing that I know is on the other side of you humbling yourself, friend. The interaction with others, the second finding, is that the interaction with others actually should leave them feeling built up. Now, gave them truth, but in the way that he did it, it was genuine in the fact that I want you to succeed. I don't want you to have to suffer from leprosy any longer, friend. Naaman's servant truly wanted him healed. He wanted him healed. He wanted him well. God, well, good listeners also give feedback. Right? In the study, they found that they gave feedback in an interactive, positive dialogue. And here's why we know it was positive. 
because Naaman actually took the advice. <laughs> he humbled himself. We see evidence that he humbled himself. He took the advice. It made him think. And he, he said, why not? What is there to risk? Let me just, the only thing to risk is my pride. So let me just lay it down and go dip. And you know what? He was healed on the other side of it. He was healed. The message version of Proverbs eleven fourteen says, without good direction, people lose their way. The more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances. <laughs> the better your chances. We're about to launch groups again in the fall. If you haven't participated in a group, that is one of the ways that we give opportunity to build community outside of Sunday mornings and the different you know, service opportunities that we have. Let, make the decision now to let somebody in. Call a friend. Open your life. Church, we have a call of God on this house to grow because healthy things grow. And we want to reach people for Jesus, but we want those that are here growing deep roots in God. Because we know that if you do that, you will experience everything God has for you. For you. But that will not happen by yourself. God designed it that way. He loves community. That's his heart. It's his heart that we would love one another, that we would be in close community and we would open our lives one to another. We say it all the time. Conf confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. You'll be healed. You can't do it by yourself. In fact, I was reminded of a story in my mid-20s mid, uh, when I was kind of on this graduate school journey. I moved in with a woman who was a single mom. She'd lost her husband and she had two friends. It was like a friend of a friend of a friend. She had an attic apartment. It would help her out with rent, so I did, and it seemed to work for me. But, you know, I was gone all the time. I was traveling for work. I was in grad school. Uh, I was studying late at night. I'd come home late, so they didn't really see me a whole lot. And uh, we had like a communal laundry area, as most houses do. And for a long time, I'm gonna be really honest with you, I would come in and guess who I was thinking about? Me, myself, and I. <laughs> You left your wet clothes in there. I'm going to just put those wet clothes. You could think different of me. I have grown a lot, church. God has given me many steps and many opportunities to humble myself and put others before me that got me to this place, right? And so I would eventually, you know, I just throw the wet clothes out in a basket. And I remember the Holy Spirit, this little nudge. Hey, 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 hey. Put the laundry in for her, fold it, and go put it on her bed. And I'm like, this is not the Lord. <laughs> that would require me to think of someone other than myself. Let me help you out. I called a friend. I had a spiritual mentor at the time, and I was learning to hear God's voice. And I said, do you know what? I, I keep getting this, this thought and this just feeling that I'm supposed to do their laundry. Could that be God? She said, well, it's not the devil. <laughs> she said, it is scriptural. James 2, 17, after all, faith without works is? Yes. Matthew 7, 12, so in everything, do unto others as what? <laughs> Come on, as you would want done unto you. I said, well, I suppose it's the Lord. A couple weeks later, I'm building some muscle. I got muscle, right? It's like, ah, it doesn't hurt quite as bad. Okay, yeah, this is okay now. Holy Spirit gives me another whisper. Go try on a wedding dress. I said, Lord. You have got to be kidding me. I promised myself I would never put on a wedding dress until my wedding day. I, I'm not doing that. I got things to do and people to see and places to go. I'm not doing that. 
And right about that time, I had just come out of a relationship, of course, broken heart and real tall walls around that heart. And I was like, nobody's scaling these walls except for the Lord. (laughs) He knows how to get in there. I called my friend again. I said, you want to know what I just heard in my prayer journal in my life? I felt the Lord say, go put on a wedding dress. You you know, this is, this is totally off, right? Like I'm crazy, right? This is not happening. She said, well, great. When are we going? (laughs) What? Are you serious right now? I was expecting you to tell me I'm crazy here. No, when are we going? She said, Christina, what if God is speaking to you and using all these steps of obedience to soften your heart? What, what if he's doing that? What if it's God, Christina? It changed my perspective. It changed my assumptions. I was offended as Naaman was offended to go dip in a river. I was offended God would ask me to put on a wedding dress. And here we are at this place A year later, I have a smoothie because Jeremy wore me down, wore me down. He said, you got to eat, woman. You you, you can't just work and go to school. I said, okay, I'll let you take me out to eat. And then he didn't even pay for me, by the way. (laughs) Another story, another day. Yeah, I know, I know. And so we, we have a smoothie, and what catches my eye is I don't even realize I am directly across from the wedding shop that I put a dress on. I felt the Holy Spirit say, it's steps, Christina, steps. Thank you for trusting me with your heart. Church, what steps is God asking you to do in your life? Just the other day, I heard of a, friend, of, of a member here at Catalyst Church who said, hey, I have asked a few people to be kind of my accountability, and, and I know that they want God's best for me. And I said, I am so proud of you. You know why? Because it took humility, and I see the fruit in your life. You are being fully obedient to God's word, and you are allowing other people into your life. And you know what? I have no doubt she's going to grow. I think it'll be painful, as it always is, because you don't want to hear the truth. None of us do. <laughs> but can I tell you something? When, when, when we are that accountability, be that accountability for somebody. Do it in love. Do it with the right motives. I want God's best for you. When you do it in an authentic way, can I help you out? You are, you are being the hands and feet of Christ to the people around you. When you will be that accountability and you will humble yourself and get accountability in your life. Nobody can do this life on our own. We are human beings made for community. So I wanna challenge you, what is God whispering to you? What is, he, what is he whispering to you in this season? Maybe you need to take your walls down and join a group or invite somebody, linger in the lobby. Hey, well, you wanna go to coffee? <laughs> Just simple ask. Get to know somebody. Which leads us to our third and final point is obey completely, obey completely. 2 Kings 5, 19 through 25, what we see is Gehazi, which is the servant of Elisha. He simply, uh, he decides that, you know, hey, Naaman should not have rejected the gift of, and by the way, I don't know if I said this earlier, but those gifts were equivalent to about $60,000, right? And he turned it down. So Gehazi is like, yeah, uh, I'll take that. So he runs Naaman down, and he says, hey, I have two prophet friends, and I'd love to give them some money while they're here and, you know, a shirt on their back, a pair of clothes. Naaman says, well, of course. I tried to offer it to Elisha. He wouldn't take it. So he gives, him, gives it to him. When as soon as they get out of sight, Gehazi tells his buddies to give the money back. <laughs> he tells them, get the money back and give me the clothes. <laughs> and then he heads to his own house. So he lies to Naaman. Then Elisha, now you just got to be foolish if you are going to lie to a prophet, like straight up. 
He lies to the man of God. He lies to the prophet because he asks him. He says in 2 Kings 5, 26 and 27, but Elisha said to him, because um, he asked him, he says, where have you been? Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from the chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards or flocks and herds or male or female slaves? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Now, aren't you glad that we are, we, we are in the New Testament? Thank you, Jesus. You don't have a prophet like, you know, calling down lightning and bears eating people and all these things, right? So thank you, Lord, that we are living in this side of the cross. However, the point is, is we have to obey God completely, completely. Because here's what I know. All of us have justified our disobedience a time or two. I have told my kids, it makes me so frustrated <laughs> when I tell them to do something. Like, here's your chore, and they do it halfway. Can I, do any other parents in the room, you're like, no, you're not getting the reward. You didn't follow all the way through, all the way. It's very important. Come on. We're the children of God. May us not, maybe we not be wayward children, immature, who don't fully obey. Obey all the way. Put your full trust in God, not halfway, not a little bit. Hey, I like this scripture over here. I do not like this one. I'll take this one. Don't touch that. That's the sacred cow. Don't touch that one. I don't, you, know, you don't have permission here. Give it all to him. We are all on a journey, church, all of us. You are on a journey with God. When he pricks your heart, and he says, hey, give this area to me. Give that desire for a spouse. Hey, give me this job opportunity. Hey, give me this little bit over here. Give me this relationship. Give it to him. Give it to him, church. He wants the best for you. When my kids, when they halfway obey, it hurts my heart. You know why? Because I have rewards for them that I want to give them. I can't wait. Nothing makes me more happy than to bless my children and give them things. But can I tell you, I would be a bad parent if I, oh, if I, if I bless their disobedience. And by the way, God loves us very much. And all we have to do is say, God, I'm sorry. And that's the beautiful thing. In fact, because of what Jesus did, all we have to do is identify maybe the lies that are keeping us from trusting him fully. The reason we disobey is because we don't fully trust. Is God hanging? Is he holding out on me? What if this doesn't work out, right? It's the same exact lie that Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden with the serpent. He said, is God really who he says that he is? It's a doubt. It's a seed of doubt. And when that thing gives full bloom, guess what happens? John 10.10 10 tells us that it comes to steal, kill, and destroy you. It's not meant just to get you off course. It's meant to steal, kill, and destroy you when it's full grown. So we've got to get it at the root. You've got to identify. What is the lie keeping me from fully obeying? Then we have to repent. It's real simple. That's what Jesus did on the cross for us is make it real simple. <laughs> he made a way to run to the Father and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I messed up. Can I tell you, when my kids do that, my gosh, I want to be like, I want to give you everything. You are amazing. You move my heart when you will come in humble obedience and you will say, I am sorry. I'm sorry for the way that I've missed the mark. And that's all sin is. I missed the mark. And there's no degree of it. Some have different consequences. <laughs> but there's no degrees. Sin is sin, church. We repent and then we replace. If we don't do that last piece, we will get ourselves right back into the quicksand. We've got to replace it. God, 
but I can't fully obey here because I don't trust you here with this. He says, hey, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge me in all your ways. You've got to replace the thoughts until that becomes your normal operating system. Computers have operating systems that have to get upgraded, right? So does our mind. This has to get upgraded if we are going to walk in all that God has for us, church. And that is my heart's desire. Come on, can I speak? I don't always say this, but as a mama of this house, my gosh. I feel like the heartbeat of heaven in my heart that I want all of us to walk in what God has called you to walk in. Individually and corporately as a church. There's so much more than we see. There's so much more. Someone in our, in our church actually gave us a give us a book, and it was um, for kids, and it basically helps you to be able to, like, uh, help kids identify lies, and you laugh at the lies. So it kind of disempowers them, right? And so my daughter did it the other night, and I thought to myself, man, she's getting it. Man, I wish I, wish I would have had these tools when I was her age. And I'm going to use my son's Ninja Warrior sword. It's had some action. It has some ugly tape on it. And... My daughter, uh, it's basically learning to laugh at lies. Well, she couldn't sleep, and she was having some thoughts, just fearful thoughts. She came, hey, Mama, probably going to make me cry. Hey, Mom, I'm scared. Why are you scared? Let's talk. I said, I asked simple questions. God, is the, is, is that, does that sound like Jesus to you? Does that sound like a loving father? And I began to give her some scriptures at her level that she could understand. And I said, hey, I need you to be a ninja warrior. <laughs> my, my son loves it. Ninja warrior mama, mama ninja warrior, whatever he calls me. And I'm like, hey, you need to be on guard because the enemy wants to sell you lies that will get you off course from God's heart. And you got to take that ninja warrior. <laughs> I know it's silly. And you're like, I don't think so. <laughs> that is not the truth. I will live and not die. <laughs> I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not beneath. And you got to wield your sword, church. Wield that ninja, whatever, whatever tool you want. Use the word of God. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Stay on guard. Stay on guard. Enemy wants nothing more than to get in your heart. Get into your heart. You know, I've, I've talked to you all about this before, um, I think, at some point, but I want to give you a different angle of this story because Jeremy and I were told we were part of an association of related churches, an ARC kind of family, if you will, and we went through a church planning training, and the feedback that they gave us was like, hey, we think you're ready to launch now. Now, that was nine months earlier than my plan and our plan. And I said, I don't think that's God. <laughs> Could have been my hormones. I was very pregnant, third trimester. I don't think that's God. Jeremy said, hey, I think we need to pray about this. We really needed to, to hear what they're saying, listen, you know, listen to wise counsel, and we need to fully obey what God is calling us to do. I said, thank you for being such a wise husband. We've come a long way from the MJB, you know? Like, I love you. <laughs> come a long way. Here we are. <laughs> Here we are in this moment. And I began to ask God, why am I having such a hard time of receiving this word? Why am I having such a hard time trusting you? And he began to show me lies. The lie in my head that was rolling over and over is, what if this doesn't work out? People don't do this at this stage of life with a full family. They don't step out like this and walk away from some of the comforts 
the bigger organizations have and security. We don't do this. And I felt the Holy Spirit remind me of a couple things. Psalms 25.3, no one who puts their hope in the Lord will ever be put to shame. But shame will come on those with treacherous without cause. Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs. He was getting to the heart of it, the heart of it. It's what Naaman was doing. That's what Elisha was doing. Elisha was like, I need to get to the heart of the matter with you, Naaman. It's pride. He got delivered of pride. Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and, and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Do you know how to another lie? That we were going to do it alone. Ha! It's laughable. Look around. It's laughable. It's laughable. The enemy also loves to sell you a lie in the opposite direction of your future. He tried to convince me we were doing this on our own. And now I look at all of you and I laugh. I laugh. That for you. What is that for you? Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing it, all those steps, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Church, what is good, acceptable, and perfect? People ask all the time, how do I know that it's God's will? Well, the first step is renew your mind so you think like him. Well, how do I do that? Get in the word of God and begin to identify the lies. Repent, replace, rinse, and repeat. Wash again, wash again, wash again, and do it over and over and over until it becomes your new operating system. I'm going to give a plug for freedom. We have a class called, in the Faith and Life course in community groups called Freedom. We do that for 12 weeks. Wash, rinse, and repeat. Wash, rinse, and repeat. Wash, rinse, and repeat until it becomes a new way of life and you can rightly discern God's perfect will. And can I tell you, I'm really glad we did because I didn't have the foresight to see a global pandemic coming. Did you? Maybe a select few of you probably did. Most of us didn't see a global pandemic that would last two years and shut down the world. I'm glad I listened because had we not launched when we launched, I don't know we would be sitting here today. Aren't you glad at God's infinite wisdom? Aren't you glad you didn't marry that guy or girl? Aren't you glad that relationship break up? Aren't you glad that that company folded? Aren't you glad? Think of all the aren't you glads this week. And I want, you to, I want to challenge you. Humble yourself this week. How can you do it? Listen to others. Invite somebody in. I had somebody ask me for coffee after, after service, first service, and said, I heard you. And the Lord spoke. And I need someone in my life. I'm traveling all the time. And I need a friend. Yes, ma'am, I'm here. Let's go. Let's go. What is your next step? Obey him completely, church. Obey him completely. Charles Stanley says, The bottom line in the Christian life is obedience, and most people don't like the word. <laughs> Yikes. Right? So we don't ever want to close a service here at Catalyst. Without giving